To study theology is not so much an academic endeavor as it is a relational endeavor. It is the study of God himself, what he has revealed to us about his character and his nature, who we are and how we connect with him. And these foundational Christian doctrines are not something new with our generation. For nearly 2,000 years, the church has been built upon the teachings of Jesus and the apostles and prophets as written in God's word. When we do theology, we are joining together with the generations of the church that have gone before us in declaring the timeless truths of God. Oh, how are we doing this morning? Yes. Oh, man, that worship set was fire. We're ready to go. I love this. I love this. So I have a... I have a flaw in my operating system. I don't mean on my computer or my phone, I mean in me. Um, it'll be lunchtime, and I'll walk out to the garage uh, to get mac and cheese for my kids for lunch, and I'll get to the garage and I'll forget why I'm there. But I'll notice, I'll notice the floor is dirty. And so I'll think, I should, I should clean that up. I should sweep up the floor. And so I'll head into the, I'll go back into the house and I'll go into the pantry and I go to grab the broom. And as I go to grab the broom, I'll notice the cat dish is empty. And so I'll think, oh, I should actually feed the cats. And so I go to grab a bag of cat food and it's not open yet, so I need scissors. So I go to the drawer and the drawer is loose, right? You, you, it's loose. And so I need to fix this drawer. And so I go out to the shed uh, to get my drill to fix the drawer. And when I get to, out to the shed, I, I see the hot tub filter that I never replaced. And so I'm like, ah, I need to, I grab the hot tub filter. I go to the hot tub and uh, I get to the hot tub. And I'm like, well, if I'm going to replace the filter, I should drain the whole thing, refill it. And so I need to get the hose. And so I go to the garage to get the hose and I see the mac and cheese. And by now, it's dinner time. <laughs> and uh, I need to make this mac and cheese. Anybody relate with me on those endeavors? Uh, fellow ADD people? Yep, okay. So, yeah, everybody else is married to one of us, right? Okay. <laughs> and here's the thing. I get so distracted and focused on the things I need to do that I miss my original purpose and mission. Um, and this has happened to the church. We have gotten so distracted by all the things that we feel we need to do that we've lost sight of the mission of why we are actually doing them. And so you end up with these churches, and, and I would say there's even a pendulum, okay? On one side, you would have what would, uh, a lot of people would categorize as like a seeker church. And so there was this movement that says, hey, anything confusing or offensive, we actually need to remove from our church services and church gatherings. And so they're no longer preaching and teaching the word in which they should. And they end up trying to just look like the community around them. And in the byproduct of that is they lose all power to actually transform lives. But on the other side is what you have these churches, what I would call a traditionalist church. That is holding so tightly, trying to protect and preserve its traditions and preferences. And here's the thing. The good news is at one point, this really worked. They found something that worked. The bad news is it was 30 to 40 years ago. And for many of us that grew up in church, this is the churches you grew up in. If you went back to those churches now, you would know all the songs. The carpet would still smell like the 80s, right? <laughs> The quilted banners would be hanging in the sanctuary, and Sister Gladys would still be teaching Sunday school. 
But here's the problem. As a result of these churches' unwillingness to change, these churches have lost touch with the community around them. And churches that lose touch with the community around them, they, they lose the heartbeat of God because the heartbeat of God is to seek and save the lost. And when you lose the heartbeat of God, you will flatline. But I believe that there's an alternative to this pendulum swing. And this is what I would categorize as the missional church. A church that is faithfully committed to th clear theological life applicable declaration of the life-transforming gospel. Now, they stick to the gospel of Jesus, but they also display it in a way that says we desperately want to serve and love the city in which God has placed us. And so this is why we need to study missiology. We need to be people who actually love the mission of God. And so this is what we're going to look at today as we're making our way through these different theological categories, we're going to look at this idea of missiology. And so let's start with a little bit of biblical context for mission. And let me just ask the question, why did Jesus come? Okay, What was his mission? So let's look at some scripture, three real quick. For even the Son of Man did not come. Son of Man is one of Jesus' favorite kind of nicknames. It's an Old Testament prophecy. It's one of Jesus' favorite nicknames for himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. John 3, 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So what do we see about why Jesus came? Jesus came serving the hurting, seeking loss, and he came to save the world. That's why Jesus came. And then Jesus commissions and he sends his church. And so let's look at three passages real quick of Jesus' conversation with the disciples after he rose from the grave and before he ascends into heaven. John 20, suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. He said, as I spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side, they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Matthew, we see another uh, recording of Jesus' words to his disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That kid is having a moment, are they not? <laughs> wow, wow. Oh, pray for those parents. Acts 1.8. You were, sorry, I'm a little distracted, am I not? <laughs> Back to the mission. Pre you're preaching, okay, you're preaching. Don't, no hot tub filters, okay. Acts 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we see that Jesus, he's, not only does he come to seek and save and serve, but then he sends us. And it says, it tells us that Jesus, as he was sent by the Father, so he sends his people. He sent us with a mission to what? To actually make 
disciples of Jesus, teaching them to obey and to follow Jesus. And then he empowers us by the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses, to testify to what is happening. What we have to understand and what we even looked at last week, it's not that the church has the mission, has a mission. It's that God is on a mission and that mission has a church. Am I right? And this is what we're participating in. Tim Keller put it like this. says, God does not merely send the church in mission. God is already in mission, and the church must join him. This also means, then, that the church does not simply have a missions department. It should wholly exist to be a mission. That is what we are. We are mission. We are a mission we are missionaries, and this is our mission field. So let's look at this overall theology of mission. Jesus, he embodied the mission. This is what we see. The Holy Spirit empowers for mission. The church is the instrument for mission, and the culture is the context in which the mission occurs. We exist for mission. And so this is what we're going to look at. And we're going to look at three categories. We're going to look at this, the power of gospel demonstration. We're going to look at the power of gospel declaration. And then one of the things that is often overlooked is the power of gospel participation. Okay, gospel demonstration. What do I mean by that? The church should be a radiant example of Christ's radical love in and for their city. This is, the, this is why we exist. We exist to serve. We exist to demonstrate the gospel. So we need to go and serve our city. And when we serve our city, we are putting Christ's love, we're putting it on display, and we're putting flesh and blood on our faith. This is why James writes, he says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions? Can that faith, that kind of faith, save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, by faith itself, faith by itself is not enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead, and it is useless. You guys, the mark of true faith is not merely right doctrine. It's right living. We need to be, we need to put the gospel on display. We need to demonstrate it. We need lives that love those that God loves, that serves like Jesus serves, a life that gives a glimpse into God's kingdom here and now. This is why I'm so encouraged by some of the ways people in this church are, are pouring outward. Every, every other Thursday, a group puts on a thing called Laundry Love. And they gather together at a locally, local laundromat and they just, they pay for people to be able to wash their clothes and they give them a warm meal. What is this? This is the gospel on display. It's demonstrating the gospel that Jesus washed us clean, that he clothed us in righteousness, that he satisfies our every need. We cannot just stand on the corner yelling things at people. We need to enter their lives and show them that God loves them. This is why once a year, we, we do a thing called City Serve Sunday where we cancel our Sunday services and we just go serve our city, cleaning up parks and serving schools and coming around people and saying, how can we actually serve you? 
It's an important thing we do. Now, confession, uh, the reason we originally started this is because we didn't used to have this building, and the place we rented, in one time in five years, they're like, hey, you can't, you can't gather this Sunday. We have other things going on, and so we're like, we're going to go serve our city, right? You know? And then we did it, and we're like, this is kind of amazing. Um, we actually need to demonstrate the gospel, and this is an act of worship. That, that on resurrection day, we can actually go serve our city and put on display a glimpse that one day all things will be made new. This is why I love some of the families of this church. This is a picture of, of Ian and Emily Richter when they were newlyweds. Look at those little baby faces, right? They've been, they've been part of this church for a handful of years. And what happens is people get married, um, and then they, they uh, establish their life a little bit, and then they start having kids, and they have, uh, they have birthday parties, but Ian and Emily, they said, actually, um, during the season, we're going to pursue foster care. And so they got qualified to be a host family for one kid. And then the foster care system, if you know anything about the system, this is how the call usually goes. Hey, we don't have one kid. We have a family of three that is desperately in need. And they went from, yeah, we're going to open our home to one child. They looked at each other and said, we have to do this. And they open their home to these three siblings. This is the gospel on display. We, it, James says later, if any religion is worth anything, it's loving widows and orphans. This is the mission of the church, you guys. We, just, we can't just like gather together in our huddles and sing our songs and drink our coffee, all of that. I'm pro all of that, absolutely. We are created to worship God, okay? I just spent all, if you think, ah, oh, this guy doesn't like church, okay, just you know, listen to last week and then give a little context, okay? I do, I love church. But the church has a mission to go put the gospel on display. And I need you to understand that you are a missionary. That's who you are. That's your calling. You are the missionary to this city. Leslie Newbegin puts it like this. He says, the church is not meant to call men and women out of the world into safe, a safe religious enclave, but to call them out in order to send them back as agents of God's kingship. We should come in and sit under the word and, and worship and fellowship and be so moved by the gospel, but we can't help but respond to it by loving those around us and putting it on display. Missional means adopting the posture of a missionary, joining Jesus on his mission, learning and adapting to the culture around you while remaining biblically sound and faithful. It's contextualizing the gospel. Think of it this way. Missional means living and acting like a missionary without ever leaving your city. You are the missionary to Gresham. You are the missionary to Troutdale. You are the missionary to Portland. May God help you. <laughs> You're the missionary to Sandy. You're the missionary to Damascus. You're the miss missionary out in Corbett. You are God's missionary, and what that means is that you view every relationship as an opportunity for you to display the transformative power of the gospel. Man, people's lives are desperately needing hope. And here's my call on your life. Would you begin to listen to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life? To display God's radical love for those you encounter. And so I want you to coach your kid's soccer team. 
Because that is an opportunity for you to show love to those other kids that they maybe don't get at home. You guys, that's being missional. I want you to plant that garden. But when it comes time to harvest, I want you to go out over your neighbor's house. Don't bring them zucchini, bring them something good. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna get a mad email this week. Go, <laughs> go to the park with your kids, right? Absolutely, make memories. But as you're there, don't be afraid to strike up a conversation with the other parents and engage in their life and see if there's any way you can be a blessing or invite them in to yours. Yeah, fix your neighbor's fence when it blows down just for the purpose of being a blessing to those around you. And what I want you to see is I'm not asking you to give up all you know and move to the jungle in Africa in order to be a missionary. I'm not asking you to go buy a bullhorn and a sign and stand on the street corner and yell the gospel at people. I'm, I'm calling you to be a missionary right where God has placed you. And part of that is being a demonstration of God's love and doing what Jesus did, serving people, loving them, offering them a glimpse of kingdom hope. Man, and we could be people that have eyes to see and ears to hear. The impact that that would make, we have no idea. A number of years ago, um, I was preparing a, a sermon, and one of the places I love to go is the Saulish Ponds in, in Fairview. And they have benches all around the ponds there, and I love to just sit and read and kind of pray and, uh, as I'm working through a sermon. And, and as I did, there, there's this, this guy came up to me. He was probably mid-20s, uh, Middle Eastern, walked up to me, and he had two fish, fishing poles. And he just goes, hey, man, I, um, I don't mean to interrupt, but <clears throat> I... As I was walking up, I smelled your cigar. Uh, confession, I was smoking a cigar, okay? Some of you guys are like, scripture and sin, how dare he? Okay, whatever, just deal with it, right? So I'm, <laughs> and uh, he, he says, he looks at me and he goes, I was wondering if you have an extra one that I could have. And I was like, oh, sorry, man, like I don't, I didn't have a whole bunch with me and I didn't have more than one with me. I'm not Charles Spurgeon, right? Okay, um, and uh, so, I was like, oh, no, sorry, I don't. He's like, no problem. And he just walks off. It's a really small interaction, okay? So then I keep, go back to my preparations and I'm reading through. And uh, I remember at the time uh, what I was studying. I was studying this prophecy in Isaiah about Jesus. And it says, the spirit has come upon him to preach the good news to the poor and to serve the hurting, to heal the blind and the sick. And as I'm preparing for this sermon, I, like, can't get this guy out of my head. And I feel the Holy Spirit's prompting, telling me, hey, go home and get a cigar and bring it to him. And I'm like, no, like, I have important things to do, Holy Spirit. I have a sermon to preach, right? <laughs> and so finally, I'm like, I'm not gonna be able to get this written until I walk in obedience in this moment. And so I get on, put all my stuff in my backpack. I hop on my bicycle that I read you know, rode there, and I ride all the way home. I go, uh, go in the sliding glass door, I go in my office, I open my cabinet sin, I grab another cigar, <laughs> and I go back to the Saulish Ponds, and I find him. And I was like, hey man, like, I just feel like I needed to go grab one of these for you. And I hand it to him, and as I'm handing it to him, um, his eyes start to water. 
And he goes, when I was a kid, my dad would bring me to these ponds to go fishing. And he would sit and he would smoke a cigar. And I came here today because it's the anniversary of his passing. And I smelt that cigar and it immediately made me think of him. And I just want to smoke this in his honor. And I thought, that is a moment right there. And before I took off, I was like, hey, by the way, what's your name? And he goes, my name is Isaiah. <laughs> Which means Yahweh is salvation. Listen, you guys, we have no idea how God wants to use us to bless others in ways that make maybe even no sense to us. But in some small way, our acts of obedience and kindness put the gospel, God's radical love on display. And so we need to be a people that love enough to actually display the gospel. But it can't end there. We actually need to invite them into our lives and invite them into our story. And what we need is we need gospel declaration. As a church and as disciples, we are called to be witnesses about Jesus and what he's done and what that means in our lives now. And let me just give you a piece of advice. Like, don't make it weird, right? You don't have to make it weird talking about Jesus. Here's what I mean. Here's how you make it weird, okay? Uh, imagine we were friends, right? Imagine we hang out all the time. And I never told you uh, a, that I was married and I had kids. And like a couple years in, I was like, hey, I, I've been you know, thinking about this and I just, I, I just need to tell you. I feel compelled to tell you. Um, I, I have a wife and kids. You'd be like, this is weird. Why are, why are you active? Like, why didn't you talk about this earlier? Why didn't you just share this part of your life? Like, ah, I was embarrassed. I didn't want to offend you, you know? Like, it, you'd be like, now you are. Like, what's happening right now? Okay, right? That'd be, you guys are all looking at me like I'm bizarre because it would be bizarre. Yet we do that with Jesus. If he's really transformed your life and he's really a huge part of your life, why don't we just talk about it like it's normal? Why don't we just share, man, this is, we're not trying to impose this on, we're declaring the goodness that we've experienced in our lives. There's this quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use, use words. Now, there's two problems with this, okay? The first problem is St. Francis of Assisi never said that, and the second problem is words are always necessary, okay? So I fixed it, Okay? Preach the gospel at all times, use words, some guy. Okay, like, now it's accurate. Now we're spot on. This, it is all, because the gospel means good news. It's a declaration of what God has done. To preach the gospel means that we as a church, we focus, we preach, we teach the redemptive, healing, hope-filled story of Jesus more than anything. That has to be our primary message in our lives and in our church. What we need is the transforming power of Jesus in our lives. This is why Paul writes, the greatest missionary who ever lived, the Apostle Paul, he says, and, when, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was Paul's method for mission. You know what it was? It was Jesus. I proclaim I declare, I preach Jesus. Mere intellectual persuasion does not save people. 
Because fancy buildings and good music does not save people. Delicious coffee and dope swag does not save people. Saving faith is produced by heart, the heart-changing power of the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed. And so we are going to be a church that preaches Jesus with all that we have. And we're going to live lives. And so this is why I, I encourage you. Put the gospel on display, but then invite people to join you in this endeavor that we're on, that we would all be reminded of the power of Jesus. We're not doing religion here. This church exists to make much of Jesus. We exist to make Jesus famous in this city, and in doing so, to make, Jesus, make disciples of Jesus. That is our mission. In the late 1900s, there was a group of American tourists who went over to London, and there was these two really well-known preachers at the time, famous preachers that they, as they were over there, they wanted to go see, and churches at this time had a morning service and an evening, and they were separate on Sundays, and so uh, they attended the preaching of Joseph Parker at Joseph Parker's church, and they discovered that his reputation of eloquent oratory was just well-deserved, and they got done, and this group's walking away, and one person just says, I do declare. It must be said, for there is no doubt that Joseph Parker is the greatest preacher there ever was. And in fact, that Sunday night, they wanted to go back and hear him again, but they knew uh, they, there was another preacher that they wanted to tell their friends about, and they wanted to go witness, and so uh, they ended up going to the Met- Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear Charles Spurgeon preach, and the group was not prepared for what they would hear. And as they departed, again, one of them spoke up. I do declare, it must be said, for there was no doubt that Jesus Christ is the greatest Savior there ever was. You see the difference? This church is not about this church. This church is not about our logo, our mission statement, our leaders. This church is about Jesus. And we preach and we declare Jesus. This is why we will always only fully, clearly, uncompromisingly and exclusively be about Jesus. Everything we do for him starts with what he's done for us. It's a response because he loved us first. It's Jesus that we are leading people to. It's the work of Jesus is how we get there. And there is no hope without Jesus, but with him, we as a church, we can represent the hope of the world. You see this? He's our savior, he's our king, he's our leader, he's our hero. And this problem, this thing happens. So, so like, I take my kids to the pool, right? And it doesn't matter whether they can swim or not, where they got floaties, what do the kids always wanna do? They always wanna go to the deep end, right? Because they're like, that's what looks fun, right? They're like, come to the deep, I wanna go to the deep. I'm like, this is literally made for you, right? This spot over here, it's got like water falling and slides and bubbles, they're like, the deep end, right? Okay? <laughs> You know who else does that? Christians. Like we show up and we're like radically transformed by the gospel. And they're like, let's go talk about the deep things. This theology we can't understand and wrap our minds around and things we could. That's, that's what maturity is, right? It's going to the deep end. Here's what I need you to understand. Christian maturity is not about going deeper than the gospel. It's about the gospel going deeper in you. Yeah. That you would actually walk in obedience. You wanna go deeper, walk in deeper love. You wanna go deeper, understand and know and love Jesus. We don't move beyond Jesus. We don't go deeper than Jesus. 
He is who we preach. Um, I got this, every once in a while I'll get an email about um, like a review our church will get. And I, I just wanna share this because this is the greatest one-star review our church has ever gotten. <laughs> like you have to, re- you just see, listen to this. It says, let me begin by saying, Rise is a great place if you want a very simplistic walk with God. They seem to have a core belief of the bottom line of everything is Jesus. And they drive that point home. Unfortunately for Rise, that is where the substance begins and ends. They have no room for anyone that is a deep thinker. I was like, that is the greatest compliment we could ever get. <laughs> I'm like, this guy gets it. We, listen, church, we don't go beyond Jesus. We don't start with anything other than Jesus. We don't go deeper than Jesus. What is the question? Jesus is the answer. What's the problem? Jesus is the solution. I believe that. He is the one we can build our lives upon. So every week you come here, I want you to go deeper and deeper in your heart and mind that Jesus loves us so much that he left the side of his father to enter this broken, painful world because he loves you. Jesus loved us so much that he faced all our pain and sin and brokenness head on. Jesus loved us so much that he endured the cross on our behalf. Jesus loved us so much that he rose from the dead. Now he offers us his life and his righteousness. Our mission is to proclaim Jesus with all that we have. And we're gonna build upon him. Because here's the thing, everything and everyone else will let you down. If you're looking for the flaws in the church, you're gonna find them. If you're waiting for a pastor to disappoint you, it's going to happen. If you're just waiting for that moment that someone in this church says something offensive or hurts you, like it's gonna happen. And so this is why our faith can't be built on a person on a stage Our faith can't be built on a church. Our faith is built on Jesus because he is the one who never grows tired. He is the one who will never let us down. Bryn Manning, he he put it like this, and I just think he's spot on. He said, the greatest single cause for atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. And so this ultimately leads me to the last thing, and this is something we don't think about a lot when it comes to this idea of mission, but it's this idea of gospel participation. And what I mean by that is you have to actually enjoy and participate and walk in what the gospel has done for you and your church and your family. You, you need to receive this hope and this joy. Je- he, Jesus said in John 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. You have to let the gospel actually change you. I want you to receive God's love and walk in the free- freedom that that comes with. I want you to walk in hope and the beauty of it. You, we can't just display We can't just declare, you have to actually experience it. And I hope this is, I want this to be a great hope to you. What I'm saying is, I want you to experience the full life of Jesus. This isn't about just doing more and doing more. Okay, we talked about mission, now I gotta go say this and I gotta go. No, like, just receive from the Lord. 
You guys walk in his presence, find his joy and his hope and healing. One of the greatest ways you display hope to a hurting and broken world is by walking in the gospel of healing yourself. That's how we can be light because redeemed people redeem people. Healed people healed people. And T. Wright put it like this, brilliant theologian. He says, learning to live as a Christian is learning to live as a renewed human being, anticipating the eventual new creation in and with a world which is still longing and groaning for that final redemption. And so, would you be a person, would we we walk in Sabbath rest? Because Jesus has finished the work at the cross. You don't have to carry it anymore. Rest in him. Would we live in peace because Jesus has reconciled us to God and each other? Would we live in hope because Jesus is making all things new? Would we live in joy because we are eternally loved? Would we participate in the kingdom reality now, though the kingdom is not yet? This is what it means. We have to participate in the gospel ourselves. We have to receive. You don't have to earn God's love. Jesus earned it for you. Rest in that. Find joy in that. Let that transform you, and that will radiate outwards in your life. This is how Mother Teresa put it. If you want to change the world, go home and love your family. And I I resonate with that because I believe this is the trajectory of mission. It starts, it's an experience that starts in your home. And as you experience this in your home and you are a more loving father, you are more loving mother, more loving wife, more loving roommate, there's a transformation that takes place in your home. And guess what? As you guys start to live in the gospel in your home, that starts to affect our church. Our church no longer becomes, is not a place of infighting and battling. Our church is a place where, man, we, we experience the transformative power of the gospel. And as our church is transformed by the gospel, we go outward and our city can be transformed. So we have to actually participate ourselves in this. And so this week, I, uh, I was having a lunch with a pastor, and he's been doing this a lot longer than I have. And he had reached out a couple months ago, and we finally connected. And, and he was asking about Rise. He's like, man, I kind of heard some of you guys' story and, and what God's doing out in Gresham, and it's just incredible. And so he's like, walk me through this journey that you've been on. Been on. And so I kind of started walking him through the journey. And right before we got done, as it was time to leave, he goes, you know, I just want to give you a warning. He said, "Um, because I've been there. He said, the next 10 years are going to be so much harder. He's like, I'm not trying to scare you. But when when you've seen God do, do what he's done in this church and the mission that's been accomplished, he says there's a shift that often takes place. And it's a shift where no longer are you just rallying people for mission. You're gonna begin managing the expectations and dissatisfactions of a bunch of church people. And I sat there and I was like, I don't think I'm interested in that. (laughs) So how about this? How about we just stay on mission? How about we keep the main thing the main thing? 
How about we display the gospel to a hurting world? How about we preach Jesus, not religion? How about we, rather than go deeper than the gospel, we allow the gospel to go deeper in us? And here's what I want you to hear. If you are brand new to church, this is a new endeavor for you. I want you to meet and know and love Jesus. I want you to experience the transformative power in your life. What I need you to realize is all of this was built for you. Because you are our mission. People, people wrote, maybe even wrote your name down on this skating rink. People have been praying for you. People have been inviting you. People love you. Like, we love you, and you are so welcome here. And what I want you to do is I want you to experience the life-changing power of God's love and then join us in welcoming others in and living with purpose together. That's my desire for you. And if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, you've considered, you would consider yourself a church person, how about instead of becoming stagnant and stale and fighting for our traditions and preferences, how about we stay on mission? What if we remember that Jesus came to serve and seek and save? What if we remembered our purpose? What if we stayed hungry for the lost? What if we stayed united around a collective mission? What if we fought to move outward? What if we didn't move beyond the gospel? What if we were truly a church that existed to rise up and saturate our city with the gospel? I can do 10 more years of that. Let's keep pressing forward. And so this week, about a week and a half ago, uh, we launched Alpha. And I feel, it just felt like a moment in our church. And one of the things you gotta learn, you, you know, you'll learn about me is um, I have to like, at some time, there's moments where I have to have like my hands off of things because I'm like a big personality and I'm like, this is what we're doing, right? And so when we launch something that somebody else is leading, I have to remind myself like don't, don't show up yet, right? Right. So Alpha is launching and it's happening, and like I want to be there more than anything, but I'm like, I, nope, I can't show up yet, right? And I start getting all these texts from people who are there and people who are leading and people who are participating. They're like, this is incredible. They're like family members who have never come to church before or come to this. People are asking questions. People are having discussion. Um, we had so many people show up. We had to launch two new groups. We're now meeting in the lobby of this building. All, all these things. And I'm just like, you know, I'm just sitting there knee bouncing, just like, oh, okay. And about an hour in, I was like, okay, I can go now, right? I can go. I can show up. I'm like, you guys are doing a good job. And I can get out of everybody's hair, right? And so I'm driving into downtown area. And as I get in my car and I'm receiving all these texts, there is this massive rainbow. And like, I don't know if you realize this about, I'm not like a rainbow guy, right? I'm not like, ooh, puppies and rainbows and butterflies, right? It doesn't move me, <laughs> okay? But let me tell you, as I'm driving in and I see this full, complete rainbow over our city, it, you better believe it represented the promises of God to me. If we would be a church that stays on mission, if we would be a church that stays faithful to the teaching of God's word and actually loves our city, I believe God will 
transform and flip this city upside down. He said, pray for the workers. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so many churches are like, Lord, would there please be a harvest? And he says, look around, there's a harvest all around you. I'm asking you to pray for workers. And you know who the worker is? It's you. Go display the gospel. Go declare the gospel. But participate in the gospel and receive his love. Lord, would you move in our hearts and our lives? Lord, would this church be yours? Would this be an army of missionary saints committed to actually serving our city and loving our neighbors and putting the gospel on real tangible display? Would we be a church that preaches Jesus and Jesus and Jesus so much that people get fed up and leave? But would we not miss the point? Would we not move beyond your son? Would you wreck us by his grace and his love and his goodness? And would we be so transformed inwardly that we can't help but display that love and grace outwardly? We pray all this in your name.